Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast, joined by Mark Douglas, as you can see. Um, no game, of course, this weekend, but plenty still happening with regards Newcastle. Mark, we'll start with the news that the Gulf crisis between Qatar and Saudi Arabia um, looks to maybe come to an end. Saudi Arabia officials have said it, the end is within reach, which is good news for them countries, but also is it good news for Newcastle United and the potential influence that maybe Qatar BN Sports had on a potential takeover? Well, things you never thought you'd be talking about in a, a football live stream um, at the start of the year in particular. Uh, I, I mean, look, the, the truth is that, that, you know, more intelligent and more astute people in terms of geopolitics than, than me uh, will be will be able to probably tell you whether that has a direct impact. All I know is from talking to people around the deal that they feel that any little thing um, any little thing that, that, that can possibly be sort of counted towards towards this takeover happening helps, um, which is why you know you see things like the Newcastle Consortium, the Supporters Consortium, getting a lot of support um, from the people in and around the deal. And obviously, you know, look, it, you'd be naive to think that geopolitics didn't come into what happened in the summer. Um, the, the basic point is that the Premier League didn't believe um, that there would be enough separation between the, the state and PIF. But there's clearly been um, issues around uh, Qatar's being sport and uh, their their um, their attitude to to the way that the Saudis pirated um, or allegedly pirated um, their, their material, which was as a result of the geopolitical situation, which hopefully is going to be resolved. So it, will it, it immediately um, uh, break that logjam at which the takeover happens? The answer to that's no. Um, because the Premier League um, weren't, you know, if you ask them, it wasn't had nothing to do with, um, had absolutely nothing to do with, with with the geopolitical situation. But we all know that, you know, there was a lot of pressure being applied to to the Premier League and to to clubs as well, because the, the one of their main broadcast partners, being Sports, was uh, was actively trying to drum up opposition to to the deal. So um, would that have happened with um, with the Saudis and, and the Qataris getting on well? Then you know, probably probably not. So. You know, I think it's one of these things that you know, if they can come up with a solution to this, um, to the arbitration, if arbitration happens and they win that, I think there's potential for a resubmitted bid. And at that point, things like the fact that there is now an agreement between Qatar or is going to be an agreement between Qatar and Saudi Arabia makes the deal makes the deal easier. What's a crying shame is if this had happened 12 months ago. We possibly wouldn't have heard of some of the problems that we that we had originally, and therefore you maybe wouldn't have had um, the situation that we've had, which is that eleven months down, we're no closer to the takeover happening, but it still dominates everybody's thoughts. You know, it's still the by far the most talked about thing on a Newcastle timeline, especially when there's no games. You know, we know that it's it's a, it's a big deal anyway, and and it does feel like things are happening behind the scenes. I mean, we talked with Luke Edwards, didn't we, at the um, in the autumn about would the jungle drums start beating again in December? And yes, they have. And I think to be fair, the, the, you know, you have to look at the NC, 
SL and they've kept it alive very much. You know, not everybody agrees with how they've done things. Not everybody agrees with with everything, but I think they are starting to to see a bit of unity in the fan base. And you know, when I've spoken to to Keith Patterson, who's obviously the, the main man there, um, you know, you, you're just struck by the guy's determination to get this done. Um, and part of that is not necessarily that that it's going to actually change the way the take up happens, but it's the, it's keeping the idea alive, um, which they've managed to do really really well. And obviously, when you see things like this happen, then um, you know it, it, it all adds to that that mix. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's mad really. And I've reached out to a couple of um, experts in Middle East politics this weekend to try and get some kind of handle on it um, to, to maybe do a story for next week to, to kind of bring a little bit more expertise to it. And, and as I said, you know, it's just things you never thought you were going to be covering with Newcastle United. But that's the beauty of this club, you know. Um, I've just been having a couple of chats this afternoon that, um, you know, fascinating, not about the takeover, but just um, things around the club historically and currently as well. And you just think, I mean, it really is some football club. Um, you know, the first one that's that's had a game called off from COVID, um, somehow now went up a position in the league despite not playing. I mean, only at Newcastle United. It's never boring, is it, Mark? Um, of course, Mike Ashley taking uh, arbitration against the Premier League. We've had Nick DeMarco. We all know about his tweets. And again, he's tweeted again this weekend. And yet again, Newcastle United fans have have kind of looked at it and some have got excited, some are play, playing along, I think, with the idea that his tweets are maybe given a coded message, but you know, he's, he's tweeted that he's got three weeks of heavy air, like a heavy workload to come. Of course, that means Christmas is on the horizon. So I think everyone maybe in his industry probably will have a bit of a busy few weeks ahead. But uh, for you, Mark, is this the kind of time scale you expect something to move or are we looking maybe further into 2021? Well, I, well, I would think it would be um, it, in terms of actual movement. It would it would probably be twenty twenty one. I would think would be the um, would be the time when I would I would say that, that you're more likely to get some movement because you know the statement the Newcastle released was two weeks ago, and um, th- you know they, they were saying at the time that there was still an element of um, bird and bird in Premier League's lawyers uh, doing a little bit of. Um, What's the best way of obfuscation? I think was the, was the word um, that, that was mentioned to me when, when I was chatting to people. So it would take quite a lot, I think, to, to get the arbitration moved and and for things to be moving. Um, but you know, I, do I think Nick DeMarco knows what he's doing? Well, maybe not at first when he started baking bread and getting Newcastle fans um, talking. But you know, if he didn't want to draw attention to his Twitter feed, didn't want Newcastle fans and other people. Um, to to look at it and maybe read things into it, he would have stopped tweeting by now. It's my take on it, you know. So, look, is it fair? I don't know. I think most Newcastle fans know that they're just it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit of kidology. Um, everybody involved in this deal wants to keep the idea that it's going to happen alive. Um, so, you know, I know that a lot of fans are saying it's tiresome. You know, nothing's happening. If it was, it would have been shut down by everybody now. And I think Nick Marker would have would have stopped tweeting about it as well. But he's obviously right in the thick of um, what's happening uh, with, with arbitration. It's not, you know, it's not dead. It's not gone anywhere. Um, I think my question would be, what are the exact terms of arbitration? Will they uh, move things forward when we all know what the problems are? Um, and, and, you know, the, the problem is because it's all confidential, we just don't have those answers. But when he's tweeting about things like that, you know, I wouldn't read too much into it. But, you know, the fact that that Twitter feed is 
mentions Newcastle a few times and there's all those kind of things, you know, going on in the background. And, and it is a little bit putting two and two together and coming up with coming up with five or whatever. But at the moment, it's it's what we have to go on for the, for the takeover. And also the, the word of the people uh, involved in the consortium who are still telling us it's very much, you know, it's very much a, a, a live idea. You know, I think we, we mentioned last week, didn't we, about the January targets um, still being looked at. So, you know, as far as we're concerned, until we're told it's definitively off, um, you know, I think it's all um, it's all things that, you know, it's fair play for Newcastle fans to, to get excited about and fair play for them to speculate about. And today, um, a report in one of the national papers maybe give a bit of an insight into why Mike Ashley is pushing so hard to get this deal through. Perhaps not a surprise because we know that his, his love is on the high street and he likes to, to maybe rescue uh, shops and companies that are, that are falling on hard times. But the report today said that he's, he's, he's bid for the, the Trafford Centre um, and then another bid for Debenhams as well, which of course has gone into administration, has been in administration for a long time. Um, that just again goes to prove, goes to show why Mike Ashley is so keen to to get three an odd million in his back pocket at a time when other businesses probably haven't got um, access to that cash flow. Yeah, I don't think Mike Ashley has a problem getting hold of funds. You know, his his um, his bank, uh, well, his, his group Fraser's group have have the have the assets, have the money, can raise the money to to go and do these deals. But obviously, for him personally, I mean, he's spoken before, hasn't he, about his his own personal wealth being wallpaper, hasn't he, in 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 paper money and things like that. And he would look on Newcastle United. I think I think what what's interesting about this is that what he likes doing is buying distressed businesses when he feels they're at a low, adding value to them. He doesn't necessarily sell them. He doesn't sell a lot of businesses, but it adds to a um, a portfolio which 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 uh, improves in value. Now, what Mike Ashley is looking at Newcastle United at the moment and thinking. There's no love for him in in being involved in Newcastle United. He's not wanted here. He he doesn't really like the football industry. I don't think you know. Um, I think he likes the idea of having a football club, but I don't think he particularly likes. Uh, I think the idea of being in charge of a football club is it's lost. I think some of its um, some of its allure to him because it's just not gone well for, for him at Newcastle. So the reason I think he wants to sell Newcastle United now is not just because he's desperate for cash and wants to do these things, but it's also because he knows at this point. That Newcastle United is not going to appreciate any more in value than it, it is at the moment. You know, that watermark that he's got the 320 million pounds or 305, I think it was in the end, that Newcastle United had, had, had agreed to be sold for represented a huge, a very good deal for him at a time when football, uh, football clubs' valuations are, are going to be going down. You know, I we're coming through the pandemic probably, but what is what does the future hold? You know, we, we're also talking about things like Brexit, we don't know. Um, what the economic situation in this country is going to be like in in a year's time, and he, you've got a Saudi sovereign wealth fund willing to put X amount of money in front of you. That's why he wants to sell it. Um, and like you said, you know, a man with three hundred million extra, three hundred and five million extra pounds um, to play with, and a very distressed high street uh, there. You know, he could he could go and snap up whatever he wanted really in, in the high street. And I think that's probably strategically where he's looking at. We know that he's, a, he's an incredibly sharp. I know Newcastle fans don't like him. You know, I don't particularly like what he's done to Newcastle United as well. Um, I don't like it at all. But you can't deny that the man is an extremely astute businessman and very, very sharp. And it's about buying, um, buying something that he knows he can build and selling something that he knows he can't build. Newcastle United, probably valuation now, 
that's the highest it's going to go for him. Um, unless you start, the club starts building and getting into the Champions League and opening up other revenue streams, there's, there's no chance. And with Project Big Picture and things like that, where it looks like the top five is going to be consolidated, he knows the time is right to get out of football um, and to have that extra money. And, and it clearly shows, doesn't it, that where he wants to invest is in his high street empire, where he doesn't want to invest a lot of money is his football club because he sees that as a as a, as, as a pit of money. Whereas you've got um, a Saudi touring wealth fund who do want to invest in the football club for a, a, a myriad of reasons. Final question on the takeover. We had the uh, story on the FOI earlier this week. Um, for those who didn't read or would like to recap, uh, effectively um, a freedom of information request showed that the Premier League and the Foreign Office had been in contact over the, the takeover um, email correspondence, one email from the Premier League um, asked for a meeting to ensure the Foreign Office and the Premier League were on the same page when it came to the takeover. Sources uh, say that was more to do with the timing of any announcement rather than any influence on any decision with the takeover. Um, but nonetheless, very interesting. And it showed, Mark, that perhaps the uh, the chatter between the government and the Premier League was a bit more than we originally thought or that the government originally kind of suggested it, it was. What what did you make of the, the documents and the story? Well, it was excellent. It was excellent work by yourself. I'm going to make you feel uh, quite, uh, you know, a little bit, um, a little bit bashful. But, um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, I know how much work went into to, to doing all those freedom of information requests. They're, they're not quick things to, 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 just, to just do. You know, you have to think about it. You have to think about who, you, who you're going to ask for. You know, I think you enlisted Chion Wura as well with a couple of th- with a couple of things um, d- down the line there, uh, and and great to get the, that information. You know, what was interesting when we when you shared the documents with me was how much was redacted. Um, you know, I'd love to know what was actually said in those in those redacted passages. You know, we we know that the reason that there's some of those redacted was probably because they didn't want people's details and people's phone numbers and things like that being being shared with us. But what else was in there? Um, I think it's I think it's interesting because it does show what a big story this was. You know, that, that there's no doubt that if, if the Foreign Office are getting involved, if the uh, Department of Trade and Industry are getting involved, um, and they were, they clearly were involved because you, you, you've ascertained now that, that this was further than just we'll keep you involved. This was reams and reams of emails, uh, meetings, phone calls. Um, an awful lot of work went into um an awful lot of work went into this the takeover in the summer. It wasn't just a case of, um, like most, I mean, you know, look, if 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 an American businessman, if, say, Henry Morris, now where Henry is, I don't know, uh, but if, if Henry Morris was involved, would they have been copying in the um, foreign office? No, they wouldn't, you know. So this is a major international story. And um, the fact that there was so much um, correspondence between the foreign office and Premier League, I think, raises a lot of questions for me. You know, I've always said that, the, you know, this is a much bigger story than just Newcastle United. This is a, a huge um, geopolitical story that, that was that was thrust on the Premier League and they weren't equipped, in my opinion, to deal with it. They didn't have, um, they, they didn't do it very well. Um, I don't think Newcastle United actually um, covered themselves in glory either because they could have kept people involved. They could have kept people um, in the loop as well, but there was clearly so much more going on behind the scenes than anybody realizes, and I think, they, in fact, anybody still realizes. You know, I think 
what's been really interesting and what and what one of the things that when you talk to the um, NCSL um, about what they want to do is disclosure this what they talk about they want it all out in the open their attitude is you know look they're, they're you know they're Newcastle fans so they want the way they want Newcastle United to be taken over by the by the Saudi PF because they can see what it would do to the football club well at the very least they're saying get it all out in the open show what was said between who and uh, and how and then we can all make a decision about transparency because the Premier League you know obviously the NUST did some fantastic work in the summer getting the Premier League to answer some questions but that is probably just the start of this there's a lot more going on under the surface and I think what your story did was show that we didn't get the uh, meat on the bones because that was never going to be able to to happen from the from um, the FOI, but um, you know, from three weeks ago when you you had a load of rejections of the Freedom of Information, what was really good was that actually we had some documents. And the documents showed and forced the Premier League and forced Newcastle United and forced other people to acknowledge that it that, that this was all going on. So it wouldn't surprise me if what you found out is actually used in the future, and that is actually being mentioned in some of those arbitration hearings um, because you know. I just think the whole thing um, should have been a lot more transparent from the start. There should have been men- much, much more um, information, um, especially coming out to Newcastle, because they're the ones who who needed to know what was going on. It's their football club. Um, you know, if there were problems, they should have been talked about. They should have been talked to. But uh, if the NUST hadn't have pushed, if Newcastle fans hadn't have pushed for answers, it would have just been nothing would have been said. And it, we might still be in a situation today where we were, Kind of waiting for um, waiting for answers, um, and, and unfortunately, that 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 you know that we are still waiting for a lot of the answers. So, you know, we'll keep pushing. I'm sure. You know, the the great thing is that we've got a team of journalists at the Chronicle who um, have all. We've all got different skills. We've all got different contacts. We're all, you know, we're, we're all we're all looking at things. And, and what's been really good to see is that um, four or five months on from the story, you know, we're still finding ways to try to find out fresh information and I think that's you know a real um you know a, a real kudos to the local media because it's not just us there are other um other reporters and other um and other outlets looking at things as well and you know look I'm not bothered if 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 news comes out from you know a, another source or whatever as long as this deal gets done um I think that's it but what was what's great and what's really interesting is that you know I feel like that, that was a really good story and it kind of you know it it, it really set um it was a real big talking point on the day and, and hopefully hopefully it, will, it won't be the end of it. We will be following up. There's a few written, uh, submitted questions from two of the local MPs. You mentioned Chi on Uwa there and we've got um, Mr. E. Moons as well. So there's there's plenty more to come because I think what many people said was, you know, it, it, it provided that link, but it also provided a heck of a lot more questions and answers, which I think we always expected. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get some answers to them, them questions. Um, moving on from that, Newcastle and the transfer market coming up obviously next month. Um, they've been today linked with two strikers, Sam Cosgrove up in the SPL and Laborda, if I've pronounced that right, from I believe it's Montpellier. I think I've got that right. Yeah. Um, clearly, some people think that an addition up front is needed. Obviously, an over-reliance on Callum Wilson. Is that where you'd strengthen Mark? And um, if so, would any of them two names that we just mentioned there uh, take your fancy? I think they need. I think they need a midfielder desperately. Um, is is what they need first. They need somebody to give them a different dimension. And I think, you know, I think to be fair to Steve Bruce, he knew that 
They need the midfielder. They need a box. They need a kind of box to box midfielder. They need a Kevin Nolan. They need a um, Ryan Alden. You know, they've never really replaced Ryan Alden. They need a Kabai. Those are the those are the three names that I can think of that um, you know the midfielder um, that they really they really require that sort of box to box action. I think Ryan Alden was was the one who who really added so much to Newcastle. It's such a shame that he was he was signed um, by a, a team that you know at the time. It, you know, it was it, it, there were too many new players in that team, but, but he really did settle quickly. And you've seen now he's a he's a European champion and a league league champion, and, and and how how important he was. They need they need their own version of a Alden because what they've got in midfield, I think, is quite um, it's quite similar, isn't it? It's, there's nothing you know they've got Sean Longstaff, who I think can play number ten. You know, he's developing. He's he's, he's not bad. Um, they've got John Joe Shelby, who plays a certain way. He's you know he he's not a box to box midfielder. He's not going to Force the issue, but he, he does do certain things right. And then they've got your Isaac Hayden, um, Jeff Hendrick. I think Isaac Hayden's really important, but he's not, you know, he's not gonna get he's not gonna get you the goals, he's not gonna be that, that creator that they need. So that's what they need, in my opinion. I think there's a big, um, really, really big uh, need for that. And they obviously went and tried to get somebody like that last January with the, uh, the with the record bid that they made at the time. Um but I, I, you know, whether they go out and get somebody like that, I, d- I don't know. You know, they obviously tried tried it with Bentaleb as well, but that didn't work out. Um, you know, and he's obviously now um, Schalke of um, Schalke of, of transfer listed him as well. So, you know, for me, I, I think that's where they need to add um, up front. It, interesting, um, interesting names being linked. The um, the Cosgrove link from Aberdeen's a strange one. Um, it seems that you know I, that seems a little bit agent led to me maybe there's a bit you know it's Alan Nixon isn't it who, who writes for the Sun and he's got a pretty good record with transfer links but um, you know not not always um, you know sometimes they, they come from certain people who maybe want to get their their client out there or whatever but we, we'll see you know I mean he's been talked about as an alternative to to Andy Carroll um, Carroll's not really got started yet this season um, you know he's been fit for most of the season but he's not really He's not really got got going, I don't think, and that's um, and that and that's something that I think you know they'll look at at the end of the season. Will he get another year on the, on top of the deal? Um, he's cheap, isn't he, at the moment? Because he's not he's only getting paid a set wage and then then extras extras in there. Um, I don't think they necessarily need anybody in January up front because the kind of money that you're going to spend on a striker, it, you're going to need to spend big money to get somebody in who's going to really make a difference. Um, they'll have Dwight Gale back by then. They've got Callum Wilson. Um, you know, Jolinton played well um, against Palace. You know, he's not going to be a man you're going to play on your own, um, but he's not bad. And then they've got Carroll as well. So I'm not necessarily sure that they need it. They need it. They need a striker. Um, it'd be great if they could get somebody in on loan, um, but I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy a striker on loan in January because I just think that you know the money's better saved for the, for, for the close season. We saw that last last year with um, with with Callum Wilson. You know, if they'd have gone out and spent 10 million on a on a striker they wouldn't have been able to go out and get Callum Wilson who I think you know like I said to you last week I think he has been a game changer for Newcastle mm, he's definitely. basically changed the entire season for them because he because he scores the goals they're suddenly not in I don't think they're in any danger of relegation this season now I think they're they're all right um and therefore you know they, they they've kicked on um so, so I don't think they necessarily need a, a striker. Um, the the lad from Montpellier is interesting. I don't know anything about him at all. Uh, all I know is that um, Le keeps mentioning him as um, a possibility for Newcastle with West Ham 
um, sort of ahead of the um, ahead of the queue for for him. But again, an interesting one. I'm sure they've scouted both of them. I'm sure you know their scouts will have looked at both of those players. Um, but how seriously we should take those links up, I'm not sure. But do you think it is a bit of a gamble? Obviously, Callum Wilson, you know, on fantastic form, but it only takes one injury, one suspension. You know, I know that's hypothetical because he could go through the whole of the season without any of that. But at the same time, you know, he could get struck down by injury, could get sent off, whatever. Or he could just lose form. And then do Newcastle have a, a replacement? And we know Joe Linton had a good game against Palace and he scored. We know Dwight Gill knows where the net is, but can you rely on his injury record? Is it a gamble to, to say, you know, that yeah. they can get through January, they can get through is. the end of the season without a new, another striker? Yeah, of course it is. But I mean, you'd, you'd look at Gale and you'd say, um, as a backup striker, he's not bad. Um, if Callum Wilson gets a season-ending injury in December, um, you know, I would, I, I, you know, obviously that's a massive blow, but, um, you know, you're asking the question, aren't you, whether they need somebody, uh, whether they need somebody in, to cover the Christmas, you know, to, to cover what could be a busy run of games. But, you know, for me, I just don't think, I think, I think, look, if they were, if they had a lot of money, they would have, you know, I'd, I'd want them to look at going and buying somebody in January. Of course I would. I think what would be a better plan would be to go out and get somebody on loan. Um, but how many players are going to want to come on loan and know that they're not going to be first choice because Callum Wilson's going to be first choice. And that's the problem that they maybe have. Obviously last January, they looked at, they were looked at getting um, Olivier Giroud, didn't they? And um, and obviously now he's firmly back in favour at Chelsea because he scored, scored at the weekend, um, you know, well, he scored goals, goals over the week. But that'd be the kind of thing that I would like them to go out and do, you know, um, to, to, to cover them. But I think probably more realistically, we have to think that they're going to go probably go and get two or three um, I know Josh King's been mentioned. Um, you know, he'd be a good he'd be a good addition as well. But will they go out and buy another player in the similar mould to Columbus? I'm not sure. I think we've just got to be realistic about what Newcastle do. And I think if they're going to go out and sign a striker, and um, there's never been no takeover, it'll be in the summer that they do the they do the serious kind of business on that. Um, it's a gamble. Newcastle take gambles all the time, don't they? Um, but I think they were okay. They they're not. You know, in, in historically they've been worse off for strikers than they are. Now, if Dwight Gale comes back and is fit, um, they've got Jolinton who can play up front. You know, I don't think he's going to score a lot of goals, but he can play up front. He did that all last season. And then they've also got Andy Carroll as well. So they've got four there. Um, and, and Sean Longstaff can even play. I mean, he did play at times in the last season as kind of, you know, was it false number nine? He plays as number 10. He, he can play up there as well. So they've got potentially even five. Um, obviously, they're, they're a much weaker team without Callum Wilson there. But, you know, in, in terms of what the scope of this season is, it's probably about, you know, maintaining the, the position that they're in at the moment, hopefully having a bit of a run in the Cups. I mean, Joe Linton said at the weekend they were going to try and push for the Europa League. So who knows, you know, it's not a million miles away. They're not that far away from it at the moment, which is which is bizarre considering how the games have gone. Um, but, um, it, you know, with the amount of finance they've probably got, um, it, it would be unlikely, obviously, if there's a takeover that, changes significantly but um but yeah i think it's unlikely uh for me at the moment that they're going to go out and sign a um striker on a permanent basis do you expect them to be busy though in january um, busy? i think they'll look to do deals i think it'll be very similar to last january where um you know they they, they probably know that they'll just need to refresh the squad um loans probably for me would be the most uh most realistic 
they they kept those loan slots free for a reason. Um, I don't think Steve Bruce is crying out for new players, but I think he'll it'll be the attitude will be look we'll keep an eye out if there's any deals that can make us better. That's what he'll say, um, and I think there probably will be one or two that they'll look to. You know they they did well in the loan market last season. They they obviously the players that they got didn't didn't end up playing too many games, or but that was partly because of the pandemic. I think um, you had you know Lazaro coming into form. Um, Bentaleb didn't really do much but I think probably would have been a bit better if he'd have just had a bit of a run of games and a bit of a flow of matches but he just didn't he just didn't get that in the end um, so I think they'll do I think they'll do one or two yeah I think they'll look for it but they, they won't be it won't be urgent I don't think they'll be looking for the first week of January but then again they might have injuries you know they, they'll um, I think Christmas is going to be punishing for, for every club because Newcastle from next week We'll have uh, four games in two weeks, including the League Cup game. And then after that, you know, they've got all the matches over Christmas as well. So they've got a lot of games coming up. I think they've got seven games in um, in three weeks, which is uh, three or four weeks, which is obviously a lot of matches to play. So it may be that they get injuries and they'll need to um, look at bringing others in. And of course, they've got this Villa game to, to reorganise. And then they might even have the effects, the players who've, come down with COVID-19 we we don't know how bad it is hopefully it's it's, it's not um, bad at all we hope, hopefully it's quite mild at worst um, but I mean they could have effects you know over the next few weeks we all know we've all read in the news about you know the long-term impacts of COVID so the, that might even play a part as well looking ahead to, to January um, on COVID Mark I mean are you confident that the game against uh, West Brom will go ahead I mean it all really depends on the next couple of days I guess and, and the tests at the club carry out um, on, on the squad yeah I mean you, you can't say confident because the training ground's still shut and um, you know the match last week wasn't wasn't played and it was called off pretty early it was I think we all knew kind of by Monday night that that, that game was under serious doubt there was a big big problem um, for Newcastle with with, with the uh, with the outbreak as well I, I tend to think that you know look it, they'll probably get it uh, like this just based on the protocols that I, that I kind of know of, they've obviously had a deep clean of the of the ground. Everybody's been isolating now. I think you'll see towards the start of the week uh, and the start to middle of the week that, that, that they might reopen the training ground and they might be under, you know, some sort of restrictions. Players might start training again. Um, and then it's just a case of, you know, whether there is then actually room to appeal to the Premier League because a lot of clubs will say, well, if it's about disruption to your training schedule, well, we could make a case to have our game called off because we've had X, Y, Z. You know, a lot of teams have had have had players um, players come down with um, with with COVID, um, and then they've had to change their training schedules and things like that. I think if there's enough players fit and available to play the game this Saturday, I think it will be played um, because I think the Premier League won't want won't want to eat into another week of games. Um, but obviously, health and safety has to come first. What was really encouraging last week was that the Premier League took a decision early. Um, Villa were great, I think, about it from, from all, all intents and purposes, what you've heard about Villa. And Dean Smith said something today, hasn't he, about how he, he was behind the decision entirely. So it'll all be about um, it'll all be about whether whether the situation is safe or not. But, but if, I was, if you were going to ask me now whether I thought the game would be played, I'd say yes, because... I think there'll be enough. Newcastle will have enough players, enough fit players to play that game. Um, and I don't think that a disruption to training schedule will be enough to get the game called off. Um, if they manage to get themselves together 
in you know 48 hours before the match i think the match will be played um and newcastle will just have to have to kind of cope with the uh, the after effects of it but um you know and, and we'll be then looking at you know maybe seven to ten days since some of those players um have, have been uh, you know who didn't play in the palace game have, have been um you know will have been tested with they'll, they'll they'll have come back negative but hopefully by then and they'll be able to play um so it might be that you see players missing um but i think the game will be played would be my would be my take on it but you know, obviously we're yet to know whether you know more players have come out i think the flow of information that was happening at the start of the week has been has been sort of stemmed um newcastle have sort of got it all in house now calm the situation down a little bit and um, we'll see we'll see where they go from here Fingers crossed. We wish everyone um, a quick recovery. Um, just finally then, Mark, uh, crowds been let back into stadiums down south. It's been great to see, um, you know, 2,000 fans are back at Chelsea. They'll be at the, the London Derby, the North London Derby now as we speak. Um, it's just nice to see. I think we're all craving that, aren't we? I mean, I listened to uh, Local Hero yesterday and I don't mind admitting that I got a little bit emotional and I was just missing being back at St. James's mm-hmm. Park, you know, that right at the end, that do 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 um, and it just makes you think about what we're missing and especially at this time as well when we'd be there three or four times you know over the next month um, watching Newcastle play it's, it's we're, we're itching to get back and I'm sure you yeah, are absolutely. as well your team as well absolutely yeah absolutely I mean um, it, to be honest I don't want to watch go watch my team at the moment because the second bottom of the entire football league um, but it's absolutely killing me having to watch them on telly um, which is not very good I can imagine what Newcastle fans are feeling at the moment um, because you know, it's 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 one of those things. We're all in tier three. There's not a lot else we can do this Christmas other than um, other than sort of stay indoors and have our have our kind of celebrations indoors. But we, I, I'm missing football massively. I'm missing the Saturdays going to the matches. I'm missing that connection to to the players, to the to the management, to the to the other fans, and and just being at the ground is so important to football. I've not been to any of the matches. I know you haven't either. Lee's been there. Um, and a lot of the guys who go to the matches say that they're just that it's not the same event. We need fans back as soon as possible. Um, I understand that Newcastle might be releasing a statement this week about how a return would look, which I think will be a, such a massive um, move forward. I'd love to see 2,000 fans in the stadium. I don't understand why even in Tier 3 there can't be fans inside the stadium because you've got 2,000 fans potentially in a 52,000 stadium. You know, how is it that we're allowing people to to go and shop um people to kind of sit in pubs in tier two areas and we can't have two thousand people in the outdoors in a fifty two thousand stadium it's just ridiculous i shared a picture on twitter earlier of harrogate town um their main stand with you know i mean a lot of fans in there you know it, it would have been 2004 i think it's a five thousand capacity stadium that they've got two thousand fans in there how is that safe and two thousand fans at, at fifty two thousand um, St James's Park isn't. It can only be because they don't think if you're in a tier three area, um, it sends a very good message. Only reason I can think of because it can't be about safety uh, because they're allowing a lot of other things to happen, which which you know probably aren't quite as safe to happen as well. So, you know, bands need to come back as soon as possible. And I would think that probably by the turn of the year, even if you're in tier three, there'll be fans back in the stadium. Uh, Newcastle are ready to go with a plan to get fans back in. Um, we saw at the weekend they've already sort of started to look at hospitality packages as well. So I think you know I, I want to see fans back in. I want to see them back as soon as possible, and you know I just want to get back in as well. Hopefully next season, 
2021-22, we'll have full stadiums or near as you like, full stadiums with the vaccine and everything else coming. Um, But uh, it can't come a minute too soon because it is miserable sitting and watching them at home. But it's even more miserable not having a match, even more miserable to even watch a game at all. I think that's that's tough. We've had too many weekends with the international break where there's no match. Um, Hopefully there will be a, a game, provided everybody's safe and... Um, there'll be a match next weekend and Newcastle actually got a run of fixtures which you'd say you know the season could could sort of tip on these couldn't they um, West Brom Leeds um, who've you know not had a great run of, of games you know, without winning four uh, Brentford where um, you know I'm told Ivan Tony might not start that match as well which would be you know great um, they might prioritise the league so Newcastle could be in semi-final and then um, and then on to um onto Fulham after that you know there's real opportunity for Newcastle to do something in the next four matches certainly is <laughs> with everything that goes on Mark thank you for joining us to you those guys watching and listening later on the podcast please remember to like and subscribe and keep following us over at chroniclive.co.uk so just a quick note we're now over on YouTube at the Everything is Black and White podcast and if you're liking what you're hearing why not come and see what we're producing we'd really like you to hit subscribe we're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook we'd really like the likes the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support we can't get very far so thank you very much for listening